a doll. Do you remember the dolls? I think Mrs. Beasley was one of them where you pull the string and the doll talks or something like that. Well, his came out like really evil. It was like the, the oh, doll no. from hell. <laughs> so, and that so, inspired right? the Chucky films, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> So I'm super excited for this interview with Janet. Um, when I found out she was going to be the person uh, that that I would be interviewing, I simultaneously felt really hyped up, nearly excited because she's super fantastic and incredibly interesting. Um, and I also felt calm because in all of my interactions with her, I have felt this overwhelming sense of peace and space being held and support and freedom to to just be uh, so I was very excited to have her be the person that I was going to get to interview because what is going to make for a better conversation than feeling that way she is a, a, a wonderful human being and a wonderful guest and a wonderful interview on the show Janet Tangway is an artist she is an entrepreneur and a coach of entrepreneurs her current hustles, as she mm -hmm. says, are the hammock way of life and biz idea shower. And she is a giant in this community in upstate New York in the capital region. She is behind so many different businesses that are in this area. And she has been a giant since she was little. We're going to hear about the importance of growing up being scrappy. The lessons a noisy pen has for future entrepreneurs. Why you need more play in your life. And finally, a dare to be human story about coming out in the happiest place on earth. So grab a hammock, pop in your earbuds, and listen to The Janet Dangway. One of the things I know about you one, that I think of as your specialty is that you create supportive spaces. Yes. Right? That's sort of your specialty is to, you create the space to encourage and develop other people. Yes. It's interesting as you talk about this place where you didn't have that, right? Yeah. Where the environment was so key to your development right. or your experience. I guess that's always true for all mm -hmm. of us. Um, and just sort of leaping ahead a little bit, I, you know, we know what we know about you now is that you are both an artist and an entrepreneur. Yeah. I guess I'm curious about, I don't know what you know about that, about sort of what it takes to create, environments mm -hmm. for people to thrive in or I do I do I love holding I'm really passionate about holding space for people and it means that I have to get out of my own way sometimes because there are times when I want to step in or fix things or do something that makes things better but I think there's something to having people figure it figure it out on their own or see where it goes and sometimes I learn the most from that and holding space sometimes looks like you're doing nothing and it takes a lot of energy to hold space and to, to let things happen as they happen. I think improv's like that. You just have to sort of see what happens, right? And so it's evolved over time. I don't think I was great at it at the beginning because I did want to jump in and tell people the answers and, and things like that. And now now it's really just sitting back and see, seeing what happens and what unfolds. And sometimes that can be a beautiful thing. How did you get from this sort of space where you weren't getting that? How did you... <laughs> Get back to finding your... Yeah. I think it took a really long time. I, um, so in 1997 or something, I took uh, an expressive arts course with, uh, at the time, Jeffrey Scott Alexander, and uh, he owned uh, Glass Lake Studio, and he taught me how to get out of my own way. And, you know, I wanted to be perfect. Everything had to be just right. I wanted to be the best artist ever. And he's the first class, he said, close your eyes and use your non-dominant hand and <laughs> paint something. And so, wow. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, you would create what you thought was the most beautiful thing. And after it dried, he would say, okay, let's rip it up. Oh, and gosh. so, you know, it's oh, over, over time, right? So, yeah. And one of the <laughs> things... Such a reaction to right? that. Oh, right? my God. Right? It can be painful, right? You're like, oh, <gasps> it's so good. Um, and it's it's that thing of not being attached to the result. You learn that not to have attachment to things because everything is fleeting. And, and so I learned so much from from all of that. And I remember one one day, similar thing, We did, he did that where he said, rip this thing up. And... So I ripped it into pieces and, and then we would put it back together at the end, but it would be very different looking all ripped up than it was, you know, whole. 
And so when I was done, I'd woven all the, all the pieces together and it looked like a film strip. And at the time I was really passionate about film and video and I ended up doing that for a while. And so it led to that. And so those moments where that were just really powerful shifts came out of expressive arts and it took a while, but I, I got it back. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm I'm noticing there's this theme of destruction, like total destruction, mm-hmm. then being the start of this like beautiful burst of rebirth. And I'm I'm curious how that relates to the, like, if there is a typical entrepreneur, um, like experience, if that resonates with that experience. Yeah, I, I, I do. And, and, and I think that's why improv is so important and what you've taught the entrepreneurs in, in the class, because, um, entrepreneurs who are good at what they do, aren't afraid to fail and have that destruction and mm-hmm. all that. Right. And so I always use Thomas Edison as an example. He created 1200 things over his lifetime and most of them failed. And so a couple of them that I recently found out about were he created a, a pen that sort of made a lot of noise. And, and so, <laughs> so it failed because it was so noisy. It was sort of some electric, it was an electric pen, <laughs> okay, yeah. but it was the precursor for tattoos, for tattoo pens. It became the, the cursor wow. for that, right? Precursor. And so, um, and then he, and then he created a, a doll. Do you remember the dolls? I think Mrs. Beasley was one of them where you pulled the string and, the doll talks or something like that. Well, his came out like really evil. It was like the, the <laughs> doll from hell. <laughs> so, and that so, inspired right? the Chucky films, right? right, right? That right. <laughs> some sort of inspiration for someone. Um, but all these inventions and, and other things came out of that, right? And so he was just someone who said, I'm going to fail and some of the things are going to work and, and some aren't. And so, and yeah, the good entrepreneurs get up, dust themselves off and go around it, go above it, go under it. Just get out, get out of their own way and keep going forward. So you were, you just mentioned the, the entrepreneurs that we'd been doing improv with the entrepreneurs. You started the entrepreneurial boot camp at the chamber of commerce here in the capital region in New York. It it had been there. I I had run it for 13 years, but yeah, I was there a little bit before me. Yes. Don't want to give you too much credit. (laughs) Oh, is that all? (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, you started it. In our world, okay. it belonged to you. Um, so you just recently left there. I did. What's the, yeah. what's most resonant for you about? Yeah, well, I think being around entrepreneurs, okay, this is what happened. So my whole life, I've been a serial entrepreneur. So so in, in terms of you asked about my childhood, my my father was uh, a serial entrepreneur, but only on a part-time basis He for a while. So for a long time, he had a maple syrup company and he had, um, he did snow plowing and, um, he, a sign business. Um, and, and then he jumped off and did his own business. And in 10 years, he retired early and young and wished he had done it sooner. Mm-hmm. And so being around entrepreneurs, I was sort of the same way. I absolutely loved what I did. It was really hard for me to let go of loving what you do for a living. Um, however, I felt a, a ceiling of who I could work with, how I could do it, what I could do. And I was having this strong passion for doing something finally all on my own, just jumping in and doing a, what I call a full on hustle instead of a side hustle. Cause I've had other <laughs> businesses where it's been a side hustle. Um, and I'm two months in and I think it's the best thing that I've ever done. And I am creating my own thing every way, every day I wake up and it's creative and inspiring and I can make every day different. And it's definitely scary. It's a, it is a roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship. Um, last week, all three of my technical people had family emergencies just before my second business launches. And so that was a bad day. And, uh, today and next week, I'm doing workshops that last week's workshop was fantastic. And, and I, my next week's is filled up and everybody's jazzed about it. So, so yeah, it's different. So your full on hustle is called. The Hammock Way of Life. I have two hustles. Yep. The Hammock Way of Life and then Biz Idea Shower, which is a strange name, but I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, people fish for names like business and registry, and they're impossible to get unless you pay tons of money. So it basically Biz Idea Shower is a place where uh, entrepreneurs can go on. You've heard of a bridal shower, wedding shower, baby shower, but not a business shower. No one has ever, that I know of, come up with a great platform for people to go on and find things that they need for their startup. So what happens at ribbon cuttings and grand openings is that people bring chocolates and flowers 
and they're not bringing things like staplers and doormats and whatever else that the entrepreneur needs. So now entrepreneurs have a place and a platform to go on and pick what they want so that their friends and family and things can buy the things that they really need. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) What resonates with you about that, Kat? (laughs) I I was saying before you got here, I want to start a new business just so I can register with your business and have people have a shower for us. Right. We should just like close the business and start again so that we can have a shower for our business. Right. So much fun. So brilliant. Yeah. And so what's happening is that, you know, people that want to do business with entrepreneurs like attorneys and printers and people that do business cards are uh, wanting to be a part of it. So we're creating a business directory where they can be a part of it. They can either sponsor a page. Um, And we're also putting a one-stop page where people who want to start businesses in New York state can find everything that they need to do that. So that they're not having to go to 15 different websites. Um, and then we're, we're setting up representatives of different states where we'll be able to roll it out to all 50 states and, and, uh, how to start a business in New Hampshire and Vermont and wherever. Okay. So yeah. how, so you say that idea to me yeah, and I think brilliant, duh. <laughs> and common wisdom is there are no new ideas. Like, right. I mean, come on. Yes. We, it's yes. 2019, yes. which is ridiculous mm-hmm. that it's 2019. How could that idea not exist? I know. Right. And, and that's not the interesting question. The interesting <laughs> question is explain. <laughs> How do you come up with your ideas? Yes. Maybe that's not even an interesting question. I don't know. Like what goes on in your head? Yeah. So this, this is all great questions, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so Another story from childhood of my adventurous things. My parents lived on a hill and we would go out and we would get on a sled and probably you did this too. And you would stand on the sled and slide down the hill and I invented snowboarding, right? But I never did anything about it, right? It was impossible to, the hard work of this is whoever did it, Burton and and a bunch of others, um, had to go to the ski resorts, convince them that it was okay to, to be on one ski going sideways, right? Went sideways. And so the work is, so yeah, a million, so this is what happened. I started to pre-announce Biz Idea Shower and Facebook blew up. Oh, what about a baby shower? What about a business shower? What, you know, and, and so, yeah, you thought of it too, but you know what? I'm doing something about it. So I didn't do anything about snowboarding and I regret it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I said this time I'm doing something about a business shower because I've worked with businesses most of my career and I see it as a need. And I don't, I don't, I didn't want people just to keep talking about it. I really saw a huge need and, and went for it this time. Was there, was there a need that inspired hammock way of life? (laughs) I need to be in a hammock. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that sort of started as a, I don't want to say it started as a joke because it's a real business. But what happened there is that Lisa Diakwani, who is from the Community Loan Fund and has owned a business, taught mission, vision, and values in in the boot camp class. And every once in a while, I get get paired up with a student when there's not an, an even number. And so I would pair up and we'd have to talk about our dream and vision. And every single time, my vision was to be in a hammock, right? And so we would laugh about it. And so when I was thinking about a business where I could be in a hammock, I named it the hammock way of life. And, and, uh, so I set that business up so that, um, I could get royalties and other things from it so that I could be in a hammock when I wanted to be. So I'm surrounding myself with other coaches. So if I don't want to go out and coach and speak, they can go out for me or with me. We can partner on some things. Um, but I have things set up like webinars and that are paid for so that um, once they're set up, I think they have huge value, but that I don't necessarily have to do anything more at that point. It's kind of like book royalties, which I have two children's books. So I know what that's like in art. You don't, once you set it up right, you don't have to do anything on the back end, get prints of the art and that comes in as income. And so, um, and I'm still creating and still doing other things that I love to do, but, but I don't have to worry as much about expenses. Does that make sense? Do, do you, you have a hammock, right? I have several. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yes. 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 So there, there are a couple of things that I want to, want to follow up in here. Um, one is the idea of actually yes anding your idea. So actually mm-hmm. moving forward mm-hmm. and building with the thought. Mm-hmm. So you go like, Oh, I have this thought. Everybody has the thought, but actually, 
jumping in and moving forward and doing it mm -hmm. as opposed to not doing it. And yeah. it, in so, this sort of, you know, daring sense of, yes. you know, of this yes and sense of what enables, yes. you know, what, what, what allows people, do you think, to, to manifest their ideas, to move forward th with their ideas or not? Yeah, a, a community. Um, so what I've been so lucky in my journey, you know from working with me that my values are around kindness and making a difference. <clears throat> and what happened the minute I jumped off my job was that I had complete support right from the launch. You were there. There were what, almost 100 people at the launch of, of Hammock Way of Life. And everyone said, how can I help? What do you need? And that really is what's driven me forward is that there are people that have said, you know, I want to do a logo and given me a discount to do that. And, and, uh, I want to design your website and, and all those things just said, how can I, with the, with the skills that I have, help you move forward? It shocked me, frankly, because I'm not someone that asked for help very often. And so I was completely moved by it, but it, it totally, and if I had said no, it wouldn't move forward. But I said yes, and to all the things that felt right, right? I, I, I wear this a lot now. This I wear a compass around my neck to sort of remind me of my core values and North Star. And so when something doesn't feel right, I don't go down that path. And when it does, whew, the doors open. So I love it. Yeah. You know, I, th I think sometimes we feel like, oh, if we're a good idea, someone else would have done it or it must be hard so i can't or you know someone better smarter or mm -hmm. richer or better no. would do it we start we need to start feeling like we're enough and right and and that we we can do it and and people like to do business with people that they like and know and so you know, to have the confidence to know that somebody might be doing it. I see people all the time that are doing it a little bit differently or, or they do do something before I do. And I'm, I'm like, good for them because they did it, you know, and I hesitated a little bit um, and they're going to do it differently than I'm going to do it. So yeah. I never look at things like competition. It's a collaborative. It can be collaborative if you, yeah. if you position it that way. I'm struck by how many different stories we can make up mm -hmm. about why we can or right. can't or should or shouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I work with entrepreneurs who are even afraid to say the name of their business or what they want to do. And what I always tell people is that you're passionate about what you want to do. I don't want to create a doggy daycare. I like cats. <laughs> I love dogs, but I don't want to create one. And most people in the class probably want, they're coming into I with their own ideas. And, and even if they, you do have somebody similar, we've had that happen a couple times. There's usually something about the business that's going to be different um, and you can work together potentially. It might be a different location or, or it might be um, you just want to set it up differently. And so, and people don't want to go to the same. That's why you always see a McDonald's across the street from a Burger King or a Target across the street from Walmart or some of the big businesses already know that. You're going to get people who are bored with one or the other and just do business with you because they like variety and change. Talk to me about how play Oh, I love play. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good reaction. Like, don't finish your question, play. I want to play. That's so no, perfect. Yeah. Yes. Talk to us about play. <laughs> so I'm just going to talk about play and then you can ask your question, right? Um, so I, my, one of the goals with both of my companies is to bring play into corporations. I think that people don't play enough. I would love to design the rest of my life around play. And, um, and I'm kind of doing that. I'm going in to do vision boarding with people and people haven't done this before. I'm working with big corporations and they've never done it before and thinking about their own goals as they relate to their business life. Um, and improv plays into that. And, um, and so we're actually doing a workshop in, in my business coming up for leaders and HR directors and trainers on some tricks and tools to bring play into the workforce. So, um, I think it's just needed because you, you come out of it refreshed and alive, and then you can give back to the people that you're doing business with. So tell, tell us a little more about what vision boarding is and, and what you think makes it a, like a special form of play. What about it is exciting for you? Yeah. So it's simple. Uh, there's something to simplicity sometimes, both in play and in that work. So all it is is getting a poster board. I happen to have vision boxes and they come with little kid scissors and glue sticks and, 
and you look through magazines or you print things out that you want in life. And um, there's something about being contemplative around what you want in life that moves your goals forward. Um, and one of the, one of the most powerful things that I've seen is I, I've done work both in my art business and, and here for a long time with sort of women in transition, women in, in their like, uh, 30s to 60s. And what's happening now is that a lot of these groups have men in them. Um, and men are starting to realize, like I had one man say, this eight minutes, uh, that I take my daughter to school in the morning is the only time that I don't have my phone on. This, two hours of your workshop was the only other time. And it was so powerful for him to experience just thinking about himself and his family and his goals. And, um, and other ones you find out that they love film and music and, and things like that. So, um, so I'm doing a workshop coming up with a group of electricians, which will be, which will be interesting. And, uh, and I'm getting some specific magazines for things that they like, and I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm all on board with it. And I think progressive leaders are smart to do this with their staff. So yeah, we need play in every form. Can you talk about how you would define play? <sighs> um, that's a great question. I, I think just going inside yourself and, um, and becoming childlike, remembering who that child is inside and, and moving and in a way that doesn't matter, that you don't care what people think. Uh -huh. I don't know either. Yeah. I, yeah. I need to think about that one more, but, but just, I yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask in a, Oh, yeah. yeah. do you, do you, what are three, like, or, or an image when someone says, oh, there's play. If I was like, oh, look, there's play. What is happening? A lot of, I, I just think of it as a lot of movement. I think adults sort of sit in small spaces a lot what? and don't. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Right. And so when I think of play, I think of expansiveness and my heart leading instead of my head and my body leading instead of my head. And, mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And so I think of somersaults and wide open spaces and throwing paint on the wall. And I don't know, all, all of that and screaming and being loud and and not polite. And mm. um, all of that is in my head play. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Fantastic. And, yeah. And, and, and it, there's something tactile about it as well, right? Working with squishy things and clay and, and, um, getting dirty and playing and jumping in puddles and, you know, it just, it just got it real tactile in my head. Yeah. That's how I play hard. It sounds like being unbounded yes. and free and uncensored yes. or lacking judgment. Mm. Breaking judgment, yes. breaking boundaries. Yes. Well, what what I noted and why I originally asked the question was there's something in the activity of vision boarding that's actually very quiet mm. and intimate, right, and focused. And sometimes I think when when people hear the word play, especially in the context of work, mm -hmm. they can think, oh, it's frivolous. Mm or it's silly, or even it's going to be embarrassing, <laughs> or that's only for extroverts. <laughs> and so I, it, it's noteworthy. And I, I like, I'm very attracted to the idea that play can be quiet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other, the other thing about it is that, and, and this is what I notice in, in, in it is, is that it's small shifts that sometimes can make huge impact. And so when someone is done creating whatever it is they're creating, I always have them put it far away from them and see what it looks like over there. And then I have them put it above their head and on the floor and sometimes right up against their nose. <laughs> and breakthroughs happen in those moments when, again, because they're used to looking at something in a certain, in a certain way. And the other thing that 
that I loved doing when, when I was in expressive arts training was um, when I was done with a painting, sometimes with my eyes closed and right. And, and it came out <laughs> hideous <laughs> is that we, afterwards we would become a part of it. So we would have to put our bodies in a shape that became a part of that thing. And then people around us, we would do a community one where it would be like an installation art. And that was powerful. And we would move, he, you know, we would move in different forms and it was a different sculpture and then take photos of it. And it was, it was interesting, but shifts always came out of those, those moments of play that would relate back to work and life and everything else. Right. I remember, you know, just having some of those be really, you know, impactful. So you just said work and life. We're curious about what you think about this phrase, work-life balance. Hmm. I think there's not a lot of it. <laughs> um, for most people, um, I think a lot, a lot of people, I think I've seen percentages where 70% of people hate their jobs or they go there oh. for it's right. Right. Ah. I know. Get out. Go now. <laughs> we will cheer you on. When people say they quit their jobs, I cheer them. I go, yay. Um, yeah. Why would you? I mean, I get it, but I see so many people at the end of their life having worked to go, you know, to travel and then they have a heart attack and die. Right. And that's a serious thing. Like they, I've seen that more than one occasion, like live while I've always been of the model of live while you're healthy and vibrant. And so a lot of times I've worked part-time and, um, yeah, does that mean I have to sacrifice a few things? Absolutely. But if I had careers mostly that I've loved, absolutely. And that's the kind of life I want to live. So, um, Work-life balance is hard for a lot of people, I think. Everyone's so stressed and, and striving for things. And it's that concept of letting go again. Let go of a few things and it opens up doors like you would not believe. Here, Here's the thought in my head. On the one hand, there's some real privilege in having careers, vocations, where what you do for a living is the same thing that, mm -hmm. that is your passion. Mm -hmm. Right? There's something very special about that, the deeply privileged position to be in. On the other hand, it, it, there's a dilemma in terms of work-life balance where your, you, your job isn't just your job and how do you, you can get in, enmeshed and embedded in that. And then how do you get away and where do you, how do you take a break and where do you have, you know, their boundary issues? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I meant, you know, it's even yes. more when you're, yes. you know, when you're, when you are your business, yes. right? When yeah. you are yeah. an entrepreneur. Yeah. I don't know when to stop sometimes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, at, at least, you know, at least for you, Libby, you can like externalize your boss. I can't like, you know, <laughs> like the conversations in my head. <laughs> right. Sure. So, so I, I think, you know, the, the idea and and in some we're like I know for some of our Silicon Valley clients they've stopped even allowing this phrase of work life balance mm -hmm. because they don't even like to separate work and life. Yes, part of that I is disingenuous I think right as they have you know where you eat and where you take your dry cleaning and you know they have little cots so you know I don't. But on the other hand, it's also good right? They want to they understand that your work is in fact part of your life. So what mm -hmm. is it if mm -hmm. it's not life that is life? Like, what is it? Work, family balance, work, right. leisure balance. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I, I wonder, I guess, as an entrepreneur, as an, both as an entrepreneur, yes. but also just as an artist, like where is even the division between work and right. other part relationship? Yes. Yeah. So I do think that is something to navigate. I've definitely learned that these past, it's been two months since I jumped off and so, um, of my job. And so I don't, yeah, I don't know when to stop. Sometimes I'm about till midnight and I have all these ideas and I need to keep going. And so what I have started to do is, you know, calendar my gym workouts. That's a scheduled appointment that nobody can, I really, it's, it's a hard, like I'm, 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 I go to the gym at this time and that's it, right? It's just like a regular meeting. And, and companies that I work with, actually, uh, some of the companies, again, they're progressive leaders. A lot of them in the companies I'm working with are scheduling time off for their employees where they make them unplug. They cannot respond to any emails or phone calls on the one to two weeks of vacation that they're on. And they, it's mandatory. They block the email from coming in to them so wow. that they truly unplug. Wow. Yeah. Progressive. And, um, um, and I think you have to do those things to keep your sanity. Um, I mean, you never stop thinking about it. You never, right. Because especially if you love what you do, but you have to, you have to find time to, to shut it down a little bit here and there 
or run with it. I mean, when you're creative, you also like, sometimes I don't want to shut it off. I'm on a roll and it doesn't feel like work. It feels right. like play. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. How do you, in terms of, of that balance, how do you help new entrepreneurs navigate that? I, I have them set, set goals and, and calendar, really just calendar things, just sort of make themselves accountable or have an accountability partner to say, Hey, did you shut off? <laughs> right. So that's what some of the coaching is all, is all about is saying, you know, can we do this in this time frame and not, not mm-hmm. overwork yourself? And what parts of it do you love? There's a lot that can be outsourced or bartered or something like that, where you're not like, you know, doing all your accounting work and, um, what else don't I like to do? (laughs) 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 So this is one thing, um, um, but the technical pieces, right. I, I definitely have resources for that. So, so that I can really be as creative as possible. And that's what feels wonderful to me. The podcast is called dare to be human. And we're wondering, um, what that phrase means to you and yeah. So I love the phrase and, and, uh, when I was thinking about it, um, for a lot of my life, I did not dare to be human, to be who I was. I was in the closet and I was trying to please everyone else and trying to keep them in their comfort zone. And I wasn't human. I think we're, we're born into life to learn lessons. And we all have different lessons to learn and we all come in for different reasons and we all are different. And so when, and I, and I get that someone's truth is very different than mine. What I don't get is when they try to impose their thoughts and and try to tell me what my truth is. And so that's what happened for a lot of years is that people were telling me how I should be and who I should date and what I should do. And I tried to listen and tried to fit in and it never felt like my right North star or compass. And so, um, right after Ellen DeGeneres came out, it was like a week later that I came out and it was hard to come out to my parents. That was, that was the hardest, that was the hardest thing. And I have a story around it. If you want to hear the story. So, so so my parents and I had a trip planned to Disney. And if you remember at the time, Disney was one of Ellen's biggest supporters. And so um, my parents and I go to Disney land after I come out to them and around every corner, Ellen's face was on everything. It was on the book, Ellen bookstore. Remember she had a show about yeah. a bookstore, Ellen bookstore. My parents were like, I'm not going in that bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was an Ellen ride. And I remember going on the ride by myself, just <gasps> like riding around the ride. I was old. I was old. I was 33 at the time. So it was a long time before I came and I was not true to myself and not human. I didn't dare to be human for a really long time because it wasn't like it is today. I mean, no. even now it's not completely safe um, at all. She had a rough time. Um, but yeah, she sure she did. Yeah, she was, yeah, she got hate mail and a lot of other things. And so it was scary. It was a really scary time to to do that. And um, so, so anyway, the Ellen ride and anyway, so, <laughs> but so, so cut to more recently, my, my dad, just before he passed away, my partner was laying on the couch and then they came into the living room at their house, my parents' house. And I said, what are you doing? Making yourself at home? And my dad said, she is at home. And it was one of the most beautiful moments I have ever experienced. So, um, and my mom is, loves my partner now as well. And so, um, they both came around eventually, but, um, but the Ellen ride is still <laughs> part of that story. So yeah. Well, but good for good. mom and dad. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it feels good to be true to who I am now. I don't, um, you know, I don't let anyone else, um, get in the way of that anymore. And I call people out on things when I see racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, right? Anti-gay, any, anything um, that I, I don't want to live the way I used to live. So, yeah. Amen, sister. <laughs> so it sounds like that for you, it was a real fundamental sort of core part of your humanity that you were denying and then you were able to step into claiming. Yeah. How did that shift things for you being able to name that and do it? Yeah, that, that I, I just, I have never looked back in living myself authentically anymore. It, and, and people recognize me for, for, for that. Um, one of the biggest compliments that I received about a year ago was somebody had come back from a meeting with someone and they said, Oh, Janet Tangway, I know her. She, she doesn't just talk the talk. She walks the walk. And to me, that was impactful. Because it's true. 
I, I don't, if I say I'm going to do something, I do, I show up, I'm present, I'm, I'm there and, um, and it's meaningful to people. And I just want to keep on, on doing that. So yeah. I know that to be true of you. <laughs> Did I, I do? <laughs> All of you. Oh, there's so many things. I'm still, I'm, 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 I'll be, I'll be real. I'm still, I'm still in that moment of your parents saying that oh, she's home. Okay. Oh, you still have a clamp. Yeah. It was, it was pretty sweet. Um, I'm curious what, um, how does living your truth look and feel now as opposed to 10 years ago? So 10 years ago, you know, I was in, you know, it's difficult. It's difficult. You, you, you couldn't put pictures of whoever you were with on your desk, right? You might get beat up. You might have someone say you're flaunting, you're throwing it in our face, right? Um, uh, uh, just a lot of different things. And so, and, and people, you know, I would, I would talk, uh, I would say they, I went on a date with them, <laughs> right? It was just the language that I used and people sort of knowing and not really asking the question. And that still sometimes happens, but I'm usually the one that, that outs myself first so that they don't have to guess or, um, most people know because I'm out there. So, you know, on social media with it all, but, um, and, and again, it, it's not flaunting. It's just living, <laughs> living my life the way I, I want to live. So, so I think that's changed. Um, that's been the, mo I, I would sort of dance around knowing that they were uncomfortable. Um, and, um, because you could lose your job and you know, yeah. there were not protections in place. You couldn't get married. And so. It feels important to not be Pollyanna about, you know, we talk about dare to be human and it's beautiful and it sounds nice. And it, um, so nice that mom and dad come around, but it's, it's not easy and it's not always safe. Mm -mm. You know, Ellen certainly had, you know, <laughs> she landed on her feet too, but, and you know, it was wonderful for lots of folks, but, she had all sorts of blowback yeah. when she yeah. came out and it's not, you know, daily stepping into your truth and daring in the ways that you're talking about really claiming identity mm -hmm. are, you know, there's all sorts of risk and danger that people step in to do that. Yeah. I remember one time coming out of a bar, a gay bar in Maine and someone, <laughs> this is the ignorance of it, yelled out faggot. And, right, uh, right, uh, right. But that was that was the first time that I ever experienced sort of you know being, you know, called out or yelled at. You know, just something. It just sort of took me aback. Right. Um, yeah, and and like I said, job protection and and there's just lots of things that. You know, so so I wake up every day and and if you you know if someone is racist, they can look at your skin color. People don't always know that I'm queer, right? And so so they um, they look they say things in front of me, right. About things, um, or they act inappropriately. And again, I used to keep quiet about it. And now, cause I don't look, I have long hair and I did when I was younger. And at some point, this is, I don't remember what year it was. I decided that it was too hard to be, to be feminine looking. And so I chopped all my hair off. I cut, I cut my hair and, and I tried to look dikey, right. I tried to, I tried to look, a certain way. And it wasn't me. It wasn't who I was. My friends are like, you know, you're softer. You look really hard and you, what, you know, why are you doing it? And I, I just was done. I was done being asked out by people I didn't want to be asked out by. And I just, I sort of went into this thing of, I put on some weight and I just wanted to be left alone. And so that's also shifted that I'm, I'm sort of, you know, not worried about that anymore. Of course, I'm older now, and there's a whole other thing around ageism, right? <laughs> so oh, tell me about it. <laughs> so yeah, so. just you wait, Lydia. Oh, <laughs> ready? You have a ways to go. Oh, thank you. you're going to be hounded, harassed for a couple of decades yet. Don't cool. you worry. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Just, just what everyone wants. <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah. No, I, um, it, luckily I live in an environment where it's a more minor thing, but after the, um, uh, shooting at the tree of life synagogue in mm -hmm. Squirrel Hill, mm -hmm. which is where my mother grew up mm -hmm. in that neighborhood, um, I started wearing a Jewish star, mm -hmm. uh, which I haven't done since I think maybe a little bit in my very early twenties or teens, I wore one, but I realized I want to be visibly mm. identified as Jewish yes. because nobody ever knows. Mm -hmm. They don't, 
Yeah. You know, and it's a, I want my identity mm -hmm. to be visible in a way that a lot of Great. people's identity, you know, that folks are biased against, they can't hide. Right. They can't decide whether, yeah. you know, and I want that to be true and Great. have to claim it. I don't know. Maybe it's, it, I think it's also a privilege that I get to decide that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I ever really felt in danger, it, I think it's a mark of my privilege that I can feel <laughs> confident and comfortable making that choice. If I really felt in danger, yeah. I don't know yeah. that I would have the courage to make that choice. Right. If I really felt like someone was going to mm -hmm. hurt me or round me up. Right. Right. It's, it's when like, I feel like that, maybe I'll take it off. I yeah. don't know. It's like the pink triangle used to be a way to identify other gay people or right. people that were safe or, or whatever, some similar thing. And, um, I'm glad you brought up the glad and sad at the same time, the shooting, um, there, um, because the same thing happened to me with the pulse shooting. Um, a lot of, a lot of my gay friends came and, and said it was just really hard for us because what happened in, in the bar situation when we were younger was that was, that was our, church sort of that was where we could be true to who we were right you couldn't yeah. be out anywhere and in the gay bars you could be true to yourself so it really felt like a church shooting to us yeah. um because that's where we could be true to yeah. us so yeah. yeah i'm not sure where this is going i just want to <laughs> i just want to name the connection that both of you are currently wearing something around your neck that identifies something that feels true and close yeah. to mm -hmm. yourself you at the compass and you yeah. at the Jewish star. Yeah. It's resonant that they're, they're to have a talisman, right? To have sort of a memory or a <laughs> something to hold on to feels, Im feels important somehow to, I don't know. I think humans like that, yeah. right? To have well, sort yeah. of a, a North star a or a talisman or something. Or something. I'm something thinking of how that relates to the, the vision boarding and the expressive yes. arts, like that, seeing that manifest in that visually, mm -hmm. like, what does that do and that, and that also right. makes me curious about yes. how how your relationship with art and what you do with it how that has yes. grown and changed throughout your life because it sounds like it's been a part of your life since forever absolutely and and the vision boards how how I, I want to talk about those for a minute those manifest in really interesting ways so a few years ago I put a picture of a Buddha in the middle of my board and to me that meant you know slow down um, meditate um, you know be more spiritual do more yoga. And I ended up at the largest Buddha temple in in the world um, on a on a trip that the chamber sent us on. And so you never you be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> so, um, and, oh wait, no, I didn't mean. <laughs> right, right. So I tell people don't you know put words like crush it um, or nail <gasps> oh, it or oh, something oh. like that on the board because it can but manifest in very that. different very different ways. Um, and so whenever I do vision boarding with people um, and and be specific, like if you want a certain salary range, I looked at my board recently. And I got what I wish for. I said, uh, you know, make millions right from home. Uh, I haven't hit millions yet, um, but we're, I am working from home now. So some of my dream is starting to come true. And so I'm, um, I've seen multiple people, you know, ha have that come true for them. But yeah, I make art part of my, my everyday existence. Um, I have a studio upstairs and make sure that I, I hit that up a couple times a week. So yeah. So you told us uh, so many stories. Lots Do you have a, a special dare to be human story? that you prepared for us one of my favorite stories yeah excellent yeah. i call it the art box story i think i know the art box story yeah, i, I know <laughs> wait to hear it and share uh, it with yeah, our I listener yeah good it's a different podcast we have at least right, one so, listener yeah. so please heard. share it with <laughs> okay so i was in college i went to uvm and i majored in english and i had fulfilled all my requirements and i needed one course left to graduate to get a few more credits so i i looked into wine tasting and you had to like you know memorize all the grapes and all the regions and that seemed too complicated and um i looked into music theory and it was late right so a lot of these things were they were a little bit farther advanced and i really didn't have a passion for it so anyway i landed in a three-dimensional art class um with art majors and the assignment was to take a two by four and create a box out of it not using nails so we had to use the saws and all that and i created a very beautiful yet simple box. It had four sides, a bottom, a top, a little lid, and I was so, so proud of it, right? And so I go to the front of the class and I go to talk about it and I nick the corner of the desk that I'm about to set it on and the whole thing falls apart. And so I pick it up, put it back together, hold it together, 
finished whatever story I had then about the box and I sat down in my seat. And then my classmates proceed to get up and they've created the Eiffel Tower, the Empire State Building. They have little drawers that pull out. They have lights. They light up. It was like the most beautiful boxes I have ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, oh my God, I am dead. Like, I'm not going to graduate. I need three credits. That's all I need. And I don't think this box is going to cut it, right? So I go home a little deflated and I, I get my grades um, a couple weeks later and I have an A+. Plus. And I thought that the professor gave me a wrong grade. And so I, I went to him to make sure that I was the one he meant this grade to give this grade to. So um, he said, absolutely, I meant to give you this grade. Um, you didn't cry and you didn't run out. It takes vulnerability to be an artist. And you, I think, are going to be a great artist because you didn't run out of the room crying. And it changed my career path, right? In that in that moment, right? And so, um, yeah. And they said, get the hell out of here before I change my mind. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, the art box story. That was a human moment for me that changed the trajectory of my life in a way. So, yeah. And what was that teacher's name? I don't remember. <laughs> I know. And I even applied. They have an art gallery and I, I wrote that long story and I sent it to UVM and they have a gallery there. Um, uh, and I would, yeah, I don't, I've looked, but I can't find him. So yeah, he deserves. Absolutely. So we'll much. figure it out. We should find him and yes. like make him famous yes. because what a beautiful teacher story. Right? Absolutely. Yes. I'm so glad yeah. he did that. Me too. I'm so glad he did that because you have paid it forward mm. so many times in so many ways. And we are in this community so rich and everybody that has touched you directly knows that. I think there are so many other hundreds and thousands of people who have no idea mm -hmm. that it was you who has touched them, but you mm. have touched so many people. So it's thank you. It's like ripple effects, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much Ditto. for being here with us. You're welcome. This is fun. Anything that Yay. we didn't talk about oh. that you want to talk about can i do one thing okay yeah. so one of the things that i am it, it just you know some sometimes i wake up in the morning and i say what why did this path cross my path just as i'm about to do this thing right so it's a book by debbie ford called the right questions and um and i ran across this language Are you, okay you, you good yep, no, if, if i read you uh, can i read yeah. without glasses i don't know we'll see. you may have to read it for me all right i'll read a couple of things and then that'll be it um when we look for what's wrong we choose to view our lives through the narrowest poss possible lens, zooming in on the places where our expectations haven't been met, where others have failed to meet our needs, where the world doesn't look the way we have decided it should. When we're looking for what's wrong, our eyes focus on the negative qualities of others, spotting their weaknesses and their incompetencies. What would happen if we listened to our neighbors as though they were the wisest people in the world? Would they show up any differently than they do right now? What would be possible if we approached our patterns as though their sole purpose was to bring us ecstasy and joy? What would we hear? What would we see? What would be possible? Looking for what's right is a life-enhancing choice, a choice that promises peace, contentment, and fulfillment. I'm going to try that out. My initial instinct to that question would be like, oh, what, is, what does that quote look like as a painting or as an art piece? <laughs> ah, cool. That's great. Right. Let's make it. Yeah. Let's do it. Put it up online. You could paint it and put it up online. Oh, good. Is there anything you wanted to say about Janet's story? I didn't ask you that after her story. Oh, I think I just uh, maybe just I'm 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 happy that vulnerability came up because that's something that uh, I've always admired about you and noted specifically, and that that I think holds a lot of. That, that you are willing to be vulnerable, I think, is a huge strength in holding space, too. It's like you come in and set that tone immediately that, like, I'm here, I'm living my truth, I'm here to be vulnerable with you, and that sets the tone for other people to do that. And I feel that in the spaces that that you're in. So I'm really, I'm, I'm happy that that word came, came into this, because I feel like that's a really um, beautiful foundational thing. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about you both. So, so there's something in the, in the being vulnerable that makes people feel safe. And as you know, I, because of the trauma, whatever that I had when I was younger in, in being on stage and moving and all that, that being around you, it was the first time that I ever felt safe public speaking and doing improv. And you really make it feel okay to fail and all of that. And so that for me was a game changer. 
So thank you. It's mutual love. We love you. <laughs> we love, love you too. Love you. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Thank you. Whoopee. This is great. Yay. <laughs> We're done. It felt like we were playing for however long we were talking to each other. It just felt like a, a, a game of play <laughs> the whole time. I, I, I love Janet, and I feel like uh, you probably have in your head a, a picture of what an entrepreneur looks like or should look like, and it should be Janet Tangway because yes. I think she is the epitome of what it means to, to be a creative person in so many different ways in, in life, in art, and in, in business. And uh, you can just tell she's she's doing this stuff. She's daring to be human all the time. Yes. Yeah. I felt super honored to be around her while she was so willing to be open and vulnerable with us and to share stories about people in her life who were open and vulnerable and, and just full of love. And the other thing about Janet is just thinking about her ripple effects on people. And it's it's easy to, to see why she's had such a wide and vast impact uh, just playing with her for for an hour sometimes it can just take one simple step sometimes just one simple click like Mm -hmm. when you click to like uh, us on social media and to uh, share and uh, review our podcast online it means a lot to us and it also helps other people find us and you can always get uh, more of us and see more uh, that we have to offer you at daretobehumanpodcast.com and please reach out to us uh, at hello at daretobehumanpodcast.com with your questions ideas for future guests or your dare to be human stories or, you know, shopping lists or whatever. I mean, we just want the emails. Please email us. Yep. We'll take it all. Bye. How showing up as your authentic self and not showing up as Terry Gross, but showing up like... Livia, can I say her name? I was going to say, is it, it going to be There's no a laws thing? against you saying Terry Gross. Song. No? No. All right. You can well. say it as many times as you want, in front of a mirror even. I did. She won't even show up. No? I Not know. even, you spin around three times. You tried? She didn't show. I'm sorry. I wanted her at my birthday. She would have been. She's alone in the bathroom saying Terry Gross. Mm-hmm. She never came. Maybe, uh, maybe it was the mirror. I think this is just my American life. That's so good.